I dreamt of a purple planet, the galaxy's crowning amethyst, bright with seas and violet islands. I stared until arrived Limbo, the space beast, who encircled this gem and implanted a thousand feelers, then drained all its color as thirst drains a cup. The planet bleached, the beast swam on, and I saw myself in the haze of its wake. As fresh as my gaze is asleep, so it is tired awake. So hey everyone, welcome back to Solar Scene. We're continuing our series on degrowth. Today we're going to be answering questions related to degrowth and sustainability, as well as degrowth and mass media, modern media, how we quote-unquote consume or follow popular art and news. But first, I just wanted to explain that little poem that I opened with. Thank you. <laughs> it's actually a little bit inspired by Whisper of the Heart, the movie that we watched yesterday, mm -hmm. um, which is a Studio Ghibli animated movie that we both are big fans of. And if you haven't seen it, I recommend that you watch it because I think yeah. everyone has something in there to love. Um, and there's a little scene where there's like a cat person and a human kind of, a, it's like a dream sequence and they're running around on planets. It just has me thinking about degrowth, sustainability, and the way that we view ourselves as individuals as well as as a collective on the planet. Because in this nice poem that I wrote, this, the speaker or the, the narrator kind of views themselves just as a passive observer, or at least when they're mm -hmm. dreaming, they say, that's when I can just look mm -hmm. and not harm things. Yes. But then they start to see themselves in this big kind of planet draining monster, which mm. I guess, depending on who you talk to, some people would say that might be capitalism. Some people might say that's just greed or, or human nature or, you know, it kind of um, people have different opinions on how inherent to us that mm. extraction, destruction, consumption, all those words are. Mm -hmm. And that's what I thought we'd be talking about a little bit today with regards to sustainability. Yeah, that's an excellent way to start it because... The question of, is it just human nature? Mm. Is environmental destruction and social destruction inevitable? Will it always happen? Will there always be war? Will there always be violent acts committed against your fellow man and against the planet? And I like to think, not always. I like to think that as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, with regards to environmental and sustainability, yes, I, yes. I like to think that. Yeah, I'm sure there will always be conflicts. I mean, there's conflicts with the people you love most, therefore... I expect that it will not just go extinct, the act of disagreement. It's true. But to start off the discussion on sustainability, I thought I would define sustainability mm. because to us it's second nature almost. I had a full course, just a full year on the definition of sustainability. It was essentially make up your own. But oh, wow. then there is one kind of universally accepted definition that was put forward during the Brundtland Commission, which was this big effort by a bunch of nations to come together and say, hey, there's still widespread poverty and a bunch of issues, even though we were trying to rebuild after the wars, what are we going to do? And they came together and they kind of came up with the idea of sustainability. And sustainability is defined as meeting our own needs without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. Pretty simple. And you find that definition fulfilling? does the trick. Yeah, it does a job. You know, that's why that whole course was trying to expand upon that, what sustainability means to you, because it's pretty basic, that definition. I like that it, the definition doesn't uh, necessarily reduce itself just to the environment, just to mm -hmm. nature, because um, those words are often interchangeable, environmentalism and sustainability. But I like, and I think you do as well, we like mm -hmm. to differentiate things between, say, environmentally sustainable and also maybe mm -hmm 
psychologically sustainable or socially sustainable. Yeah, that's definitely the key point in sustainability is that it's not just taking care of the planet. It's trying to solve things like intergenerational trauma, things that are unsustainable, yeah. but currently not being addressed in a lot of different ways when we're trying to address social and environmental issues. So how do growth and sustainability kind of come alongside each other? In my head, they're often used as synonyms, but in the real world, they're not. Sustainability is often associated with sustainable development, yeah. which has an innately growth mindset, I would say. Green growth. Green growth. Thinking, well, we want to grow the economy because growing the economy helps people come out of poverty, helps people have more access to the things they need. But what degrowth says is more, there is adequate food for everybody on the planet. The issue isn't in... Production. Yeah, it's in distribution. Sure. So how would degrowth and sustainability in the environmental sense come alongside each other? I'm going to go through this basically a list of degrowth policy guidelines, like things that if you're making a policy and want to call it kind of under the degrowth umbrella, these are the things that you're striving for. So I'm going to go through those and say which ones are environmental, which ones are social in terms of sustainability. Okay. So the one I wanted to start with was decoupling well-being from material consumption. Right. That's very good for the environment. Sorry to, to cut you off. It's but okay. Um, I love reading criticisms of things that I fully endorse. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes when you're so enamored with something, it's hard to see. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you grow blind to its, its detractors and its drawbacks. And I read this article that was called... Why, why degrowth is the worst idea in the world? Mm -hmm. And it was basically someone pointing out that as economies grow, mm -hmm. so too does environmental sentiment, and so too do technologies that can reduce emissions mm -hmm. per se. And he didn't mention waste or consumerism as necessarily bad things. Mm -hmm. But I think they are. Yeah. <laughs> I read something similar in a critique when I was preparing for this episode, and it was saying, you know, like the... IPCC, like all the projections that yeah. exist, they don't even take into degrowth into an account as an option <laughs> because they're like, well, like they've commented on it and said degrowth isn't feasible because it doesn't promote technological innovation. It doesn't promote yeah. a bunch of stuff which isn't true. Well, I think it, like some acolytes of degrowth definitely think that industrialization itself is is an evil and that we should go back towards that so there's, yeah. there's definitely a spectrum of supporters that's true but in my mind how i see degrowth is kind of just an, a sentiment of we want change but we don't need to just keep looking forward like there are systems of knowledge that exist or have existed that we can look to yeah to promote well-being because in my head well-being and just like the preservation of life are kind of my goals as an environmentalist or as a sustainability advocate it's progress but it's those are the two main things i just want people to live well and live yeah and i think we kind of think well we want those things to happen but we also want everyone to be living in the jetsons mm -hmm. kind of nuclear 50s like there's a really colonialized like idea i think that we kind of associate with development and progress mm. but i think there's just so many ways that we kind of avoid looking directly at if that makes any sense Makes sense. Okay. But I think decoupling well-being from material consumption is a good thing. And I am a full supporter for technological innovation. But what I mean is individual, like, if I don't have this new sweater, I'm probably going to be a little bit sad for, like, a week. 
Right, retail therapy. Retail therapy. If I have to live in an apartment my entire life, I will never feel fulfilled. Hmm. Like just trying to reinstill our values or refocus them on things that are not material, on relationships, on community, on experiences. So those things have been pretty much lost, I would say. Yeah. So I think it's good for the environment because the more we consume, the more waste there is, Hmm. the more resources that are extracted, and so on. I was watching a movie recently, and at the end of it, the world basically ends, like a comet hits the planet, Mm -hmm. and the main character says he's um, sitting essentially with all his loved ones, and they're kind of reflecting on the age, Mm -hmm. because it was perhaps a comet that could have been averted, or um, its path could have been averted, and he said, we really did have everything, didn't we? And I thought that was just a really, um, I got goosebumps when he said that because mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, we do, it it's kind of has a double meaning. Like we do, we do have everything right now as in this is like mm-hmm. the richest, we're in Canada, this is like the mm-hmm. richest um, society mm-hmm. on average that maybe has ever lived. Like mm-hmm. we have this ridiculous recording equipment, we're in a safe place and tons of food and all that kind of stuff. And we also have so much extraneous uh, material. I guess is another thing. But it's also like we really did have everything good as in family, self-realization, community. Mm -hmm. And we uh, discarded it in pursuit of other so-called values. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you think about it in the moment, like right now, I have literally everything I've ever wanted. Yeah. Like this is my dream. This is what I dreamt of. My sisters kept saying to me last week, they're like, you're literally living what you wanted in high school. Like, this is it. And I was like, yeah, that's a good point. Because on the daily basis, there's always things that you think of, like, oh, I wish I didn't have to do this thing. I wish I didn't have to. Or, oh, I wish I had those pants. Yeah. I, I think everyone falls victim to that. Mm-hmm. But it's like, your legs are covered. You're warm. It's true. That's all you could ever want. <laughs> like, So that's an important place to start for degrowth and environmental and social sustainability, I would say. The next policy factor is... Degrowth aims to identify clear resource and emission caps and reduction targets. This will obviously reduce and halt ecological depletion. So I'm sure lots of governments around the world are setting emission caps, reduction targets, but degrowth also would like to do that, obviously. Yeah. And that's something we haven't talked about much on the podcast. Like degrowth does strive for a lot of these really practical, political, and like kind of top-down what do you call those guidelines? Yeah, as well, regulations, as well mm-hmm. as the uh, systemic, you know, lifestyle change. Yeah, because we can't just, it's not just going to happen. Like, you would need some top-down work. Degrowth, I think I said it last week, is like big government that then gets small. So it's like the government would mandate, okay, now municipalities have a lot more authority. Now schools can instruct in a much more holistic way. Mm. But then from there government would then just get more horizontal than vertical. So a little bit of that, obviously that would help with the environment. Degrowth aims to reduce waste and energy use. Energy use through transportation, through perhaps alternative techniques for cooking or for heating houses, through technology basically. And waste, obviously, if you were more content with your things, you wouldn't throw them out as much through education on how to cook food in a more... Right. We wouldn't produce as much yeah. as well. Like I was thinking 
degrowth in my mind is a little bit more like regrowth. I understand why people will be like, well, why would we, like this article that I was reading about uh, criticizing degrowth was basically comparing it to the pandemic and saying, mm -hmm. yeah, we've had a trial run of what degrowth would be like. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, it doesn't just mean we will turtle up and yeah. humanity stagnates. Mm -hmm. That's not what I, I, I mean anyway when I talk about degrowth. I mean, we degrow in all the bad areas like mm -hmm. novelty holiday stores mm -hmm. and party stores and like um, so many mass-produced Halloween decorations, mm -hmm. Christmas crowns. Yeah. We were talking about Christmas crackers Yeah, because it's the holiday season. And we were like, we enjoy that festive, gamey kind of fun spirit, mm -hmm. but I don't need a tiny keychain out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Things like that. Yeah. I mean, it's like almost the opposite of the pandemic in the way of degrowth is we want people to be together. Mm. We want people to rely on each other, not on Amazon. Amazon. Yeah, right. And that's almost the opposite of what happened. Maybe despite the first like two weeks of the pandemic where everyone was like, let's get rally together as a community. But then after that, once Amazon opened back up, everyone was like, great, don't have to leave my house. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I'm definitely missing other humans amidst the pandemic. And I think that's perhaps why I'm so into degrowth right now, because in my head, a degrown future is everyone gathers for community meals and gets together. And that is good for the planet and the brain. A couple of the other environmental positives with degrowth is that it promotes relocalization so that would reduce the amount and the dependence on transportation of goods across oceans or across countries and as we've said before we still think there'll be international trade yeah but the priority and the subsidies will go towards local production and distribution yeah i think international trade just makes sense because yeah. sometimes we want papayas mm -hmm. not all the time but sometimes yep and I also think centralized production for some things makes sense. This is where mm -hmm. people get frustrated. It's like, oh, so degrowth, so we're never going to produce new cancer detecting machines? Mm -hmm. It's like, no, I think we should do that. There'll still be universities. There'll still be yeah. institutions. Big labs, R&D, yeah. yeah. all, kind of, all those words. But when you told me you were talking about like Kellogg's or something, and you said like 90% of R&D is for businesses, that blew my mind. I was like, why is it 90% of R&D on, I don't know, medicine, climate Technology. Because under capitalism, I guess it's the businesses that drive innovation for the most part. Yeah. So driving innovation for innovation's sake, perhaps. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and a couple of the other things that degrowth encourages, which I didn't even realize, but it makes sense. They encourage investments in carbon sinks and biodiversity preservation. And so that'd be good for the planet because less carbon in the atmosphere, more animals. And what other things? Oh, the final one is that it would promote environmentally beneficial sectors. So right now, in the economy, we put a lot of money into oil and gas. Right. But under a degrown economy, money would go into rewilding, into green energy, etc. So those are my environmental pluses. My social pluses are probably what we've talked about more, so I'm going to kind of go quickly. Okay. But degrowth aims to reduce poverty and increase community. Obviously, a plus for sustainability. It promotes decentralized and deepened democratic institutions so people will feel more ownership, therefore be more involved and less disillusioned. Definitely. Degrowth wants to reduce working time. Can you think of any good benefits in the sustainability of a human life that would come with reduced working hours? Um, less strain on the heart. Yeah. 
less strain on the brain because you never get to see your family except for when you're really tired. That's true. More sleep. Yeah. And I think people will probably like work. I love working. I love crocheting and doing the podcast and sweeping and baking and volunteering. Like that's work. Right. You, but that's not. It's being productive. Yeah. Well, that means you're working for yourself. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> or someone that you know closely. Yeah. You're not working for Kellogg. Never met that guy. Mm -mm. Don't really like his flakes. Before they get that sweet, sweet sugary stuff added on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else? It wants to invest in culture, education, health, recreation. Beauty in general. All places where money probably should be going into encouraging sense of place mm. and healthy communities, healthy children, citizens. It also wants to fight discrimination and crime and promote social cohesion, which is a good thing. We don't like people defacing the lovely parks <laughs> that we just made. We also don't like people being wrongly convicted of these crimes. So degrowth kind of works towards those, which I think would promote social sustainability because, okay, person who just graffitied on the bench, let's sit down and talk about this. Why'd you do it? And we get to the core of the issues of society and maybe that person would turn their life around. Sure. It'd be excellent. I guess in, um, didn't really prepare for degrowth and crime today, but I guess um, <laughs> maybe that could be next week. Degrowth and crime? Sure. I feel like I'm wildly uh, unqualified to talk about that though. Degrowth and what's it called? Um, like reformation. I don't know. But I guess what it would say is um, degrowth aims to treat people more as individuals rather than as part of a mess. And so when someone graffitis their uh, reception by the state, by mm -hmm. the police, whoever, is more individualized yeah. and humanizing. Certainly. And the final two is that degrowth wants to promote and protect shared public spaces, which we love. I love a good public space. And obviously that promotes social sustainability in that it gives people opportunities, perhaps it's a shared market, and they want to sh sell something or share something that they've produced. You have the space to do so. Do you want to start a club? We've been talking about starting a club. We have. But where would you start a club? If anyone's listening and would be interested in joining our club, Please let us tell know. Us. We have our emails in the bio. Just yeah. let us know. So <laughs> We don't know what it is yet, but it's a club. I want a club. Mm. So in a degrown society, there could be more clubs, therefore more social cohesion and well-being. Because I feel like grown-ups don't have many clubs. Let me oh. put it like that. I feel like um, there's a lot of recent graduates who are coming from maybe institutions that had, oh, we have 600 student societies. Mm -hmm. And then you graduate and it's like, <laughs> I'm not a student and I'm no longer part of any society. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the real disenfranchisement with graduates. Yeah. It's not about economics. No. It's about those extracurriculars. Mm. It's about the intramurals. <laughs> And the final one is degrowth encourages community-based sustainability initiatives and voluntary simplicity. So that's kind of two parts. The first one is a lot of sustainable development traditionally is top-down, kind of colonial. But under degrowth, it's community-based. So it's, as a community, we feel like we're missing this resource or we don't like that there's a dump being built behind us. It's empowering people to rally together and stop those things or start those things. And finally, voluntary simplicity goes a little bit with both, but mainly a lot of sustainability policy and so on is again top down, but voluntary simplicity is 
the people saying, oh, we don't need all this stuff to be happy. Happiness comes from community and from self-actualization, the opportunity to learn and develop ourselves as individuals for the betterment of the collective. And I like that it's voluntary because often when things are mandated, <laughs> they don't go well no matter how good they are in the long run. Yeah, I mean, this is our ideal world, so we don't have to be so practical with it. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's just choosing degrowth. Mm -hmm. Do you have an organism? Yeah, I have an organism of the week. Here is the image for you to describe to uh, the audience. I know you've looks... probably seen it before. <laughs> it's a common one. So it looks like a grapefruit. Okay. But a grapefruit that's actually the size of a cell. So this looks like it's a microscopic image. <laughs> and it also sort of looks like four, you know, with those little like x-rays of babies in the womb? Uh, sure. It looks like four of those, each in a triangular quadrant of a cell. Okay. So I'm guessing it's a cell. Or a bacterium. Of it some it type. is a bacterium, that's right. Yeah. I, I think it had, I didn't want to get too much into the physiological structure of it because mm -hmm. I just figured you wouldn't care. I don't care that much, and probably no one listening would care that much about the bacteria having four different clavicles. I don't know. It's probably not the word for it, but they, it basically, it's a cell bacteria that has four different clumps all thrown together. But mm -hmm. I don't think that's that important. It is called the Deinococcus. Excuse me. Deinococcus radiodurans, which derives from the Greek deinos and kokos, meaning terrible grain slash berry. Okay. And the Latin radius and durar, meaning radiation surviving. Okay. Because this is an extremophile. Ooh. It's actually been put into the Guinness Book of World Records, which means it, it's got to be true, yeah. as the world's toughest bacterium. Good for them. Nicknamed in that book... Conan the Bacterium. Oh my gosh. Because um, despite being only 1.5 to 3.5 micrometers, mm. this species of bacteria has been found to survive over 2,000 times the amount of nuclear radiation than humans can, mm -hmm. extreme temperatures, mm -hmm. acid, acid, dehydration, and a casual three years in outer space. Oh, yeah. why not? Yeah. <laughs> and it also has some uh, practical uses. Scientists have engineered this bacterium to treat nuclear waste by okay. detoxifying some of the residue. And uh, I guess it also has a lot of other uses in the development of medical and nanotechnologies. I see this as in um, Tenet. Hmm. Wait, is that the movie where they have the stuff that they throw in oil and like, eats it up? No. No? What movie is that? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Ten is a time travel movie. No, but what's the stuff they're trying to get? They're chasing through time and space. They don't... Uh... Little files. Little vials. Never mind. Yeah, we'll come back. <laughs> we'll come back. To, maybe that'll be the question for next week. What's the movie? Um, <laughs> but I had this quote, <laughs> which was from... Um, shoot, I don't remember the name of the, of the website that had this article. It was just Google like 10 toughest bacteria because I just wanted to talk about bacteria today. Mm -hmm. It has no thematic significance for the episode really mm -hmm. maybe we could find one um but there's this quote from the article that says for every human walking over the face of the planet trillions and trillions of bacteria squirm flagellate and generally hump their way around <laughs> <laughs> which i guess is probably the most like uh r-rated this podcast ever gonna get but i just thought that was a really funny quote yeah do you have any other questions about the bacteria no very small very strong essentially i like that I like it, humans but better 
yeah, humans are comparatively very big and very weak. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Okay, moving on to degrowth and media, which for me when I was preparing for this episode was kind of difficult to disentangle from degrowth and sustainability, to be honest. Yeah. I don't know if it's because of this this uh, recent climate changey movie that I referenced earlier that I've been watching, mm -hmm. and I've been thinking a lot about sustainability and media. But mm -hmm. I, I mean, I'll try to distance the two and just talk about media, which I guess we're going to include the news, mm -hmm. film, yeah, social media slash the internet, mm -hmm. YouTube, like tiny films, mm -hmm. Instagram. I don't know. I'm just listing things. Yes, what else am listening. I missing? Maybe music, streaming music. Streaming in general, definitely, mm -hmm. and other types of media. I was thinking a lot about advertising. Yeah, that's another. It's so like billboards and posters and such. Okay, I'm just going to jump right in with that because okay. advertising is the prime example of media, which I'm going to call um, non-consensual media. Mm -hmm. No one consents really to have to memorize jingles mm -hmm. or slogans. There's like those games where you have to place like 300 logos yeah, and everyone can just do it. Mm -hmm. And they're not, it's not that everyone's really big into cars. Mm -hmm. We just drive so much that we're bombarded mm -hmm. with all the different insignia. Yeah. And that I don't think is a good thing for us. And in degrowth, I honestly think there should be advertising laws that uh, I think so. <laughs> mean that you, you kind of have to opt into it because right mm -hmm. now there's just no way of opting out of it. Yeah. Um, but not just advertising, there's other areas of life where it's like, I never wanted to know this but I know it. So mm -hmm. I was thinking about news and I was like, why do I know all the names of Trump's family? Mm -hmm. It's like, I never read an article about it. Yeah. It that's kind of is, you just know it like they're, yeah. they're not. Um, and I'm, listen, this sounds like I'm kind of uh, criticizing just culture in general or the idea of being part of like the, mm -hmm. the office where people talk about, Oh, did you hear about this? This is, but it's not that it's um, I guess it's a little bit more about celebrity culture, mm -hmm. but it's like none of Trump's, immediate family were elected officials mm -hmm. or especially in, important, I don't think really. And uh, we're Canadians. Trump wasn't even our president. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just thought that was funny. I guess we can start with news then. How can degrowth fix this? Mm -hmm. I was thinking making it mostly more local, mm -hmm. not constant, because I don't think that was ever a healthy way. When I was essentially looking at the sustainability of degrowth media, meaning how can we, I hate using the word, but consume media or follow mm -hmm. the news or film or music or whatever it may be in such a way that is psychologically and socially sustainable so that we don't all go crazy mm -hmm. or uh, get depressed. Because I think that's, yeah. uh, I mean, it sounds like a ridiculous thing to say, but I think it's it's quite a factor in in a lot of, mental muddle that we feel I these days. So. I basically thought, why don't we go back to how it was? Because how it was for like millennia, at least hundreds of years, mm -hmm. was proven to be sustainable because it lasted for so long. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's not a very creative answer. Just mm -hmm. watch movies, listen to music, read the news how we used to. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of modern advantages to technology and the, the speed of communications today that we can definitely infuse those old techniques with. But I think we've kind of forgotten in our relentless forging forward in pretty much all avenues of life, like very little is similar 
today in our lives to someone 100 years ago in the same position geographically and maybe economically. Something we've forgotten is that the biggest advantage to being such an educated culture or at least have such access to education is that we can look through history, educate ourselves and pick and choose the best parts of a bunch of different cultures. So I like the way these guys had a guy on the street who shouted about news. Yeah. But we never really consider that. We, we kind of have this uh, widespread fallacy, this implied fallacy, that everything today is better than mm -hmm. it used to be with regards to the news or film. And I don't necessarily think that's the case. One example I have is the Avengers movies. Mm -hmm. I remember we were watching one of them and it was like all the Avengers died at the end. Mm -hmm. But we were like... They're not going to stay dead. No. Because we, if we didn't, I mean, I think a couple of days before it had literally been announced, like one of them was having a sequel. So mm -hmm. I was like, well, I know that he's going to survive because mm -hmm. of this, uh, this extra textual information that I've received. Mm -hmm. But also we're just much more woke to Marvel and Disney and how they operate these days. So it's like, they're not going to kill all these guys off. Of course not. And that affected the way in which the art was supposed to affect us. Mm -hmm. I think that definitely appears in many other areas of our lives. Yeah. <laughs> Basically creating cynics or just like less of an emotional reaction to a lot of things. Hmm. I watched Spider-Man and my sisters were like, why didn't you like cry? I thought you'd cry. You're really into Spider-Man. But I was like, I just, I knew it was predictable. <laughs> like things are predictable sometimes. And. But also Spider-Man's a great example because that is a piece of art that relies a little bit on all the extra textual mm. stuff that you know. It, it's um, it's kind of like this postmodern masterpiece in that it, yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it, it entirely functions, or at least it's, it's commercial success, I haven't seen the film, entirely mm. is like a function of the knowledge of its audience. It's getting the references. Of, yeah, of all this other stuff. And, but also with regards to overexposure, people do this themselves in movies and video games and books and albums all the time. It's like, imagine if you hadn't seen any trailers for the Spider-Man. And you just walked in there on the cinema You'd be like, in December. Mind blown. Oh, there's a Spider-Man movie. Let's go check it out. Mm -hmm. Whoa. Yeah. But as it is, I'm guessing that everyone listening, if maybe you're young and slightly plugged in, um, I don't want to be ageist, but if you're slightly plugged in, um, mm -hmm. you know what's so crazy about the new Spider-Man movie. Mm -hmm. Even if maybe you didn't even watch the trailer yep, or see the know. film, but you just know. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's... Probably a good example. <laughs> My thoughts of alternatives to media... They might not be the most practical, as is all things with you growth, it's very dependent on the location. But it's some kind of, I like the idea of a morning newspaper. I don't like the idea of it being one person or one institution. No, of course. Picking and choosing all the stories. The New York Times. So I think some kind of like Instagram feed newspaper. It's like it's printed, but you can kind of subscribe to a few different authors yeah. or institutions. So you have the Times, you have the post, yeah, et cetera, and different stories. Like maybe you like how the Times reports on sports or media or whatever. So some kind of a collage newspaper and you can switch it up. Hmm. And I'm sure people would because it'd be kind of fun and customizable. But you still, like, we have the technology to print all those without one person moving all the letters around in a printing press. Like, it could just happen automatically. Yeah. That was, that, was, that was similar to my thought as well. I wasn't thinking printed mm -hmm. just because I honestly think 
that one of the one of the great things about the internet is that Twitter allows you to see in real time what's actually going on the streets mm -hmm. in these protests. Yeah. And you don't have to rely on what the government's saying mm -hmm. or what the Washington Post is saying, mm -hmm. which is, I mean, it has Washington in the name, so yeah. I don't know if you try, I don't actually know. But I agree with you, those institutions, I just don't think they have a place at all, at all anymore. Mm -hmm. like, I just don't think there needs to be a BBC, a New York Times, a Washington Post mm -hmm. for news. I mean, if you want to have something for sports or something for fashion then that i mean sure mm -hmm. but i just i really think that patreon and individual subscriptions so that you can so it's a lot more of a democratic way to operate in the world mm -hmm. so essentially no i don't read the bbc i read daniel whatever who mm -hmm. in a in, you know in the past would have worked at bbc but now mm -hmm. he's just an independent journalist i think independent yeah. journalism just makes a lot more sense and it, it, it reminds me a little bit when we were talking about politics with degrowth and we thought what is actually the point of having these big nationwide parties mm -hmm. i mean i know it, like it makes sense from a funding perspective from a from a branding perspective and mm -hmm. but i think with the way that identity politics has gone this is almost the only way out mm -hmm. because how else do you stop for instance the general hand waving oh new york times i don't trust that mm -hmm. or this one skews left this one skews right and yet they're being so big that that's almost not fair. I feel like whether it's mm -hmm. independent journalism, people would be a lot more free to admit their biases maybe. Mm -hmm. I think so. And maybe you lean right, but you have some little, some liberal perspectives that you hold, but in the current system, it's like you either watch Fox or you watch CBC. <laughs> CNN, yeah. CNN. Also, I guess CBC might be leftist, I don't know. Yeah, but it's like, oh, well, I watch Fox, but I don't believe in all of these mm. kind of these things that they're talking about with the independent journalism you can pick and choose yeah and i also think i mean this is maybe more of a hope than a than a genuine um, prediction but people might be a bit less angry and cynical when it comes to just reading an article from a woman compared to from an institution mm -hmm. but this is uh this is another point that i had about the internet in general which is the anonymity and also the overexpo the overexposure of it, the just so much content, mm -hmm. in, if essentially infinite, reduces our civility, our kindness. Mm -hmm. This is not a, a new observation, but yeah, I always like that. Um, we had a poster up in my middle school or high school that said, before you send a text or an email or make a Facebook status, just imagine that it was a billboard on the street. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of think about everything we do online. Imagine that you were doing it in public. You, like most people never would no there's a lot of things yeah so that's kind of what i was thinking about with the news mm -hmm. as well you know what i'm trying to say like it's more personalized when it's just someone writing the news i think that's a good idea i like it maybe degrowth and the internet could be something for next week because it's a little bit too big to jump into media I think so. because i do think it has some pros even though it seems kind of inherently opposite to the idea of degrowth mm -hmm. I think that that kind of globalized uh, collaboration and transference of ideas is just a is just a good thing. Mm -hmm. Like in the last week or so, we watched a Japanese animation film, as I've mm -hmm. said before. And pre-internet, we might have never even heard of those. No, I hadn't. Some, uh, I think it's Finnish uh, cartoon called The Moomins, mm -hmm. which we now love and had never heard of before. Yeah, and it's just like those those are just good things. That's just mm -hmm creative uh, evolution you know that's the that's the progress of the species mm -hmm. 
someone in Japan watching the Moomins, someone in Finland watching Miyazaki or you know, mm -hmm. all those kind of stuff. So I think that the internet, yeah, it provides these kind of goods. Another example I have is the way that TikTok has um, probably produced a bunch of teens who have much better knowledge of skincare and hair care and fashion than like mm -hmm. at any other time in history yeah. because they're kind of plugged into this huge library. Basically. Of course, with TikTok, I think it's skewed in a, in a rather vain and superficial way because that's what TikTok, the platform, is kind of values. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it can't be denied that they have good skin. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there are these advantages. But I question whether you have to be directly engaging with the Internet to receive those advantages. So what I mean by this is I don't know that kids should be allowed on the Internet, period. Certainly not mm. endlessly. And I was like, maybe there could be some kind of like a driver's license system. Once yeah. you turn 16, you can go on the internet by yourself. Mm. Kind of like that because it's so reckless the way that we just let people completely unprepared. And I, it sound, kind of sounds like I'm shading kids, but I mean adults too. Mm -hmm. The ones who never raised with the internet, for instance, have no clue what they're, what they're doing but for the most part. And I include myself in that as well. No, my grandmother just got a cell phone. Mm. And we always would say, you should have a cell phone because we want to be able to contact her because she's elderly and it's nice to be able to know that she's okay but then she got one that has facebook and has the internet and my mom has been saying things to me about what this this lady has been finding on the internet and she'll like come to my mom and she thinks <laughs> it's all real because yeah. like she's never been on the internet so she's like what are these kids doing and it's like this yeah. kind of sketchy website that mm. you're like you shouldn't be on here no one should be on here so yeah a little bit of a driver's license program some training that's a really good idea moving back to art and how historically it was consumed. I had this idea about, again, going back to that poem about how we, how we view ourselves as viewers or as mm -hmm. destroyers. So like, ideally, we're just very civil and moving around the art gallery, observing all the paintings one by one from a respectful distance, saying, wow, that's beautiful. But in real life, I feel like what the internet, or should I say what streaming, what modern day art viewing, the dominant art form being mostly film or maybe music, is more akin to is us kind of like running around the art gallery, like touching everything, <laughs> like mm -hmm. smearing our hands all over the paintings or like picking it up and bashing it over the wall 50 times. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not very smart, I think, with the way that we mm -hmm. uh, watch movies, listen to music, all these things. I mean, think about how many times you've heard an album for the first time and been like, ah, oh, don't like it. Yeah, well, not even, I don't even listen to the full album. But I you listen, listen to like a couple songs. A few like, seconds no. of the first song, maybe. Yeah, but then you come back to it like a year or two later, like, and you listen to it all the way through for some reason, something compels you. And then you're like, oh, that's actually really good. Or you give it a couple of listens and you're like, no, I do like this. Exactly. But we just so often we see a post on Instagram of this painting that someone did and we're like, what's that? But then yeah. it's like, if you, I imagine if you walked in this person's house and they said, I'm really proud of this painting I made. Here it is on the wall. You'd obviously give it more than like half a second. And because you were look. just scrolling, 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 scrolling on Instagram, right? Yeah. I was thinking about, with regards to history, all our famous paintings today are pretty old mm -hmm. for the most part, the most famous ones. And I was yeah. like, I wonder if Van Gogh was around today, if Starry Night, let's assume that Impressionism had gone on how, mm -hmm. as it had, and the rest of art history had gone how it was, but just without Van Gogh, um, if his paintings would get so big. And mm -hmm. I don't think that's the case. And I don't think they would have such esteem because such a big part of art is reputation. Mm -hmm. And because he would just upload it to 
Instagram or DeviantArt or whatever, and people would be like, oh, hashtag impressionism. Oh, that was nice. But then just mm -hmm. keep keep going past it, basically. Yeah. But the fact that it's framed, the fact that it's shown in the salon is mm -hmm. uh, such a big difference. Yeah. I don't think his art ever was, but now it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think a lot of stuff comes down to knowing too much, but as with degrowth, it's not so simple as saying we should know less. It's more like it's good to know a lot, but in a different way to what we know right now. So for instance, without seeing Spider-Man, I kind of have some ideas about who's going to be in it, mm -hmm. which I think is a bad kind of knowing. Mm -hmm. But if I want to buy Spider-Man after it comes out or just keep watching on Disney Plus and study the form, mm -hmm. oh, wow, that's great edit, that's great cinematography, that's great acting, that's great music, etc. That kind of knowledge is good. Yeah. It makes me, I have this question that I think would be good for next week. I don't know exactly how to phrase it, but something like, what does a degrown self look like? Hmm. In what can I do to be degrowth? That's a really good example. A yeah. really good question, yeah. What would a degrown movie theater look like? Well, I didn't want to get too much into the specifics about industries, movie hmm. industry, video game industry, publishing industry, for instance, okay. because I just kind of assumed it could all be made green, and I think mm -hmm. it all can. I, I mean... Digital filmmaking, I don't think, is that bad anyway. I think, mm -hmm. like, honestly, I don't think the internet is that much of a footprint if we're not doing dumb stuff like the crypto and the mm -hmm. Bitcoin and all that. I don't know. What do you think a degrowth movie theater would be like? I think there'd be a different movies in each theater. Right now, I get so annoyed. There's like 10 theaters in your ass, and it's like you can see 10 movies. Yeah. But it's like, why aren't some of them more independent? Why aren't some of them showing international films and so on? So I think theaters would be maybe even, what's that one that Tarantino has, his theater, where they have a schedule each week and it's always different for the most part. Right, yeah, in, in LA. Yeah. The new so Beverly. Something like that where, okay, Monday we're showing Dune, Tuesday we're showing The French Dispatch, and like so on. It's and it timed. Rotates. You can miss it, right? Yes. That, that's, a, that's a key thing. It's a communal experience. Mm -hmm. But I guess the answer to why, no, why aren't there more foreign films, old films, is, mm -hmm. a, is a big thing I have. It's just because streaming, a lot of people think streaming has kind of killed the theater experience. Mm -hmm. But the communal experience of watching movies or going to, the, mm -hmm. going to the salon to check out the paintings or going to a concert or hearing someone play music on the streets is really nice. And I just think people have kind of forgotten that. I find it very easy to forget it. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that it should replace streaming again. Like it should, I don't think it's, there should be no streaming or no Netflix or no Apple Music. But I do think that if these things were, let's say, cheaper and more accessible and mm -hmm. everywhere and people went there more, they would stream less. Yeah, I'm picturing a cafe that shows, like this one near us, but some all over the place, cafes that show soccer games, that show movies at this time, that have live music at this time. Just even like less formal spaces that, okay, I'm going to go sit in a theater for two hours. Okay, maybe that's not what you want to do. But there's the people who like to watch anime while they're, doing their crafts or while they're studying, hmm. you can go to a cafe. Maybe it's not called a cafe, but you can go to this space and there's anime showing you guys all study together. Just these kind of more informal spaces where you can consume media kind of the way we do now in a slightly laissez-faire manner. Yeah. But it's a communal experience and there is that element of an event. There's no events anymore, which I think is important to degrowth and community building. I think that's a pretty good discussion on degrowth and media. We will definitely continue it i think I in think future so. weeks because there's just it's such a big topic and it's so mm -hmm. hard to to mention everything at once i just had one final thought that i wanted to 
one final feature, I guess, or section I wanted to close out the episode on, because when I was preparing for this, I kind of flit back and forth between extreme pessimism and extreme optimism when we talk about uh, degrowth, the mm -hmm. environment, sustainability. Do you experience similar or no? Where are you right now? Uh, I'm feeling I'm in kind of a, a dark place. Oh, a dark place. That's <laughs> when it good. comes to that. Mainly, I've been thinking, I've been reflecting on my life choices. I'm only 22, but you know, everyone has those probably biannual crises. <laughs> so I was like, when I went into university, my intention with my life was to basically, I think I said it earlier in the episode, like I want to save as many lives as I can or like help as many people as I can. And so I was going to be a doctor. I was going to be something really hands-on, really like in the field, just practically doing stuff. But then I thought when I learned the definition of sustainability, trying to meet our own needs without compromising the ability of future generations to meet theirs, I was like, I can do stuff now to implement systems and implement ways of being that will save future lives and improve the lives of future people. But then I have this like guilt all the time of, but I could literally be saving lives today. Like I could literally be on the field doing stuff in some capacity. Yeah. So it's like this guilt that I keep feeling lately of, am I doing enough? I'm not actually saving any lives. I'm not helping anybody. That's where I'm at in terms of my thinking of degrowth and sustainability. Sounds so egotistical. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, yeah, it's a tough. Maybe we can talk about that next week on, yeah. the, on our therapy session. <laughs> I feel like this is a weird thing to say, but I feel like our microphones are a little bit closer to our faces today. It's kind of intimate. Feels like a little bit more of a, of a therapy session, mm -hmm. but I um, because I was feeling extra optimistic as I, I have kind of mood swings to be honest. As I was <laughs> preparing for this episode, I drew this sort of image. I thought you could describe, uh, much like we described the organism of the week. It's titled "Imagination Will Save the World." I like that. It is a portal. It's rather abstract. It's a portal sucking in <laughs> a bunch of veins of consciousness veins of space <laughs> and people just kind of being spit out of it i like the actually that's that's weirdly um profound the way you described it um <laughs> but that is supposed to represent the internet slash mass media okay and these are all the people as you mentioned either being spit out of it or deliberately throwing themselves out of it because mm -hmm. this is kind of all consuming right but yes. these guys are saying mm -mm. and the thing is that they're falling to their death oh, unless oh, in the, as a second image the second describes. image is a cloud, a circular cloud with a smiley face in the middle and everyone being drawn from the edges into the smile. Uh, kind of. This is them all falling from the internet still. Oh. So it's like we can fall all to our deaths if mm -hmm. we say, I'm done with mass media, but now I'm so depressy and I'm all by myself and, uh, you know, individually we're weaker, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But in the second image, this is like what could be. Everyone's falling, so they're in the sky, but they do that thing where they all like, clutch arms and form uh, a circle, a sky yeah. circle, and then they will fall safely. They form a club. Yeah, the club. The smile is our club. That could be our logo for the solo theme <laughs> club. Okay. Let us know if you want to join. We're serious. We're very serious <laughs> because we are like, we were about to start a club, but then everything went into lockdown. So it's like. Right. It's a um, club for after lockdown. Yeah. And we're vaccinated. Mm -hmm. It doesn't lose us any listeners, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you all for listening. As Aaron said, you can email us in the bio. And we also have a zine, which goes along with the semester on degrowth. It's very fun, artsy, 
inspiring, some may say. Handmade, yeah. Yeah, so you can check that out at our website, which is also in the description. See you next week.